That's awesome. Good morning. It's welcome to North. It's great to see you guys here and also online. Uh, I, I love listening to those kids. And earlier this week, when I saw the first rendition of that video, I, I went back through it and watched it again and prayed for each of them. Some of them I know by name, others I didn't. But the seeds of commitment that exists there as they're grappling with what does commitment look like and just dreaming a bit about what that could look like as a full-grown fruit-bearing tree down the road as an adult. I mean, there are some exciting things ahead for them. Commitment does not always lead us into comfortable circumstances, though I was also reminded, and I was thinking about the commitment and actually praying about their journey and what would happen down the road. I thought about a letter that someone gave me a number of years ago. It's dated March the 7th, 2003. It wasn't read for another year and eight days. It was written by a woman named Karen Watson, who is a missionary in Iraq. And what happened a year and eight days after she wrote this letter is that she and four other humanitarian workers in Iraq were ambushed by some Iraqi gunmen, and she was killed along with two others. She knew that was a risk, which is why she had written this letter a year before to her two pastors. And this is what it said, Dear Pastor Phil and Pastor Roger, you should only be opening this letter in the event of my death. When God calls, there are no regrets. I tried to share my heart with you as much as possible and my heart for the nations. I wasn't called to a place. I was called to Him. To obey was my objective. To suffer was expected. His glory has been my reward. One of the most important things to remember right now is that if you could help and preserve the work I'm writing this as if I'm still working with my people group and trusting that that work will continue. I thank you all so much for your prayers and for your support. In regards to my memorial service, please keep it small and simple. Yes, simply just preach the gospel. Be bold and preach the life-saving, life-changing, forever eternal gospel. And she's got it all in caps. Give glory and honor to our Father. And then this 37-year-old woman who wrote this letter, and she, she was killed when she was 38, she quotes from a poem that had impacted her. She said, care more than some think is wise. Risk more than some think is safe. Dream more than some think is practical. And expect more than something is possible. And then she says this, I was called not to comfort or to success, but to obedience. <laughs> and there is no joy, no real joy outside of knowing Jesus and serving Him. No, I love you too and my church family. 
in his care. Salam. Karen. No regrets. I mean, what, what evokes that type of commitment? Well, for Karen and for millions of others over the years, what generates that commitment is not something that comes up within us. That level of commitment only comes out in terms of response. Response to who Jesus is and response to something very specific that He does. He picks us. Karen responded to the call of God in her life. He called her. He chose her. He appointed her. He picked her very specifically for that purpose, for that task, and she knew that, and therefore she was all in. A couple of weeks ago, I was on a plane, and it was late at night. I had been doing some work and some, uh, some reading, and finally I was just, I was dead tired, so I put it aside and went to the movie menu on the plane. And an older movie came up as a possibility, and I clicked on it right away because I remembered it vaguely. The, the, the name of the movie is Miracle. You guys, anybody remember this movie? It's about the 1980 U.S. Olympic team that beat Russia. Russia, who had actually at that time the Soviet Union, you know, they had dominated world hockey for 350, 400 years, something like that. Was coached by a gentleman named Herb Brooks, who was the hockey coach at the University of, of Minnesota. And the movie Miracle talks about the miracle that took place when this David of the United States Olympics conquered the Goliath of the Soviet Union and actually ended up winning the gold medal. But it all started back in Colorado Springs, which piqued my interest because of, uh, it's, we, we, we lived there some of the time at the U.S. Olympic Training Center. Herb was recruited by a committee, the United States Hockey Association Committee, and they called tryouts together in the summer of 1979 before the Winter Olympics. That next winter, top players from colleges all over the country, amateur hockey players who came to Colorado Springs to try out. It was a week of tryouts. After the first day, Herb picked his team, posted the roster. And everybody looked at it and thought, whoa, 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 we still got a week's left of tryouts. And so Walter, the guy who headed up the committee that hired Herb, ran out and caught him in the parking lot and said, hey, Herb, Herb, you got a second? He said, absolutely. What's up, Walter? He says, well, we got a problem. I, he says, what's that? He says, well, you've already posted the roster. He said, yep. And he said, yeah, but we still have a week more, you know, the rest of the week to go. He said, I don't need the rest of the week. I know who I want. I says, well, we'd really like to read. He says, it's not going to happen, Walter. I've picked my team. I know every one of these guys of that whole roster. I've looked at all their films. I've talked to their coaches, their scouts. I've even watched some of them play in person. You're the guys that wanted a whole week of tryouts. I've been doing it for months. Every, and this is why I'm sharing this with you, it's a legendary leadership movie, and it centers in on Herb saying this, Every one of those 26 players on this team have been handpicked by me. I picked them for a reason. You were picked. If you're a follower of Jesus, you're picked. So, yeah. 
So are you. And you. Actually, Ephesians tells us since before the foundation of the world. He says, I choose you. So there's an incident that happened when Jesus was beginning His earthly ministry that was flowing out of His purposes eternal to come renew, redeem, restore creation. But here He embodied humanity fully while not compromising His deity. And in this culture of the Galilee in the northern part of a distant country called, a far and away place called Israel, that had as part of its culture rabbis and disciples. Disciples, kids that would grow up in Torah school and then go to a, a rabbi and say, would you take me on as your disciple? And they would live with that disciple and, that, and live with that rabbi and follow that rabbi and learn from that rabbi, but smile like that rabbi smiles and eat with them and do, just do all the things with them. But very few kids were accepted by rabbis. Most returned to their family careers, their family trades. And there were some young men who had gone through Torah school that knew the Scriptures well, but they, they hadn't made the cut. And along comes a rabbi that turned things on its heels, and instead of disciples applying to the rabbis, this rabbi came and picked the disciples. If you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. Read along with me. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the Word of God. So already he was teaching with authority. He was already doing miracles. The Word about him was spreading. Uh, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. Uh, the net. They'd been fishing. We're about to discover they'd been fishing all night. Hadn't caught anything. They come in. Jesus steps out for visibility, for acoustics. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, whom you and I get to know as Peter, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water. Let down the nets for a catch. You know, Simon's hesitating. Jesus is not a fisherman. This is his trade. Now, obviously, he hasn't caught anything. So finally, says, okay. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they came, they filled both boats so that they began to sink. So full, overflowing, abundant. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you'll fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Jesus had just finished teaching a parable, the parable of the nets, of God bringing in all these, you know, he used, he, I'm sure he picked up a net in the boat as a prop, I might add.
And he told these disciples, I want you to be fishing, but for something more than fish. You guys remember those days on the elementary school playground at recess? The teachers would appoint a couple of captains. You're going to play kickball or something. The captains would choose teams. Man, that was exciting for some, agonizing for others. You know, some of you remember what that was like because you were always, you were the jocks and you're always pick first. There are others of you who are kind of like me. You're at the bottom of the pile. And that's when they, things started. We, we started going two for one. Remember that? You get to the end and you just start adding. You take those two, I'll take these two. Well, Jesus has picked you and he's picked you first. He's picked everybody first. There's no second choices. We're in this series that we're calling Following Jesus Together. And we're following in response to Him picking us, Him choosing us. Now this, this series flows out of our vision as Northland, engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. Fully alive is not just heart beating, lung breathing, but it's the life of God that flows out of Jesus' clear statement about His mission. John 10.10, 10, he says, listen, the thief comes. This goes back to the garden and his robbery of, of, of me and you, of who we're, we're called to be. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's done that quite well in my life and in your life. When we're born as fallen creatures, we know what it means to be born robbed and dead. Oh, we can laugh and we can create and we can love, but it's all muted. It's all cloaked. The Scriptures say we're dead in our trespasses and sins. And Jesus says, I've come that they may have life. Zoe, the life of God, and have it to the fullness. That was His mission. He couldn't be more clear, but how was that to be accomplished? And that's what we're wanting to make sure that you get during this series is there is a how that we've got to grasp. It's Jesus' strategy. That's His mission. Now hear His strategy. It's in Matthew 28. This is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after 40 days of Him instructing them. And then he, right before He ascends to the Father, he says, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, yeah, bottom line, you know the outcome. I've already overcome. Victory is assured. So go out there and live with all your heart. Follow with all your heart. Go and make disciples of all nations. That wasn't a foreign concept to them. They knew about disciples. They knew about rabbis and disciples. And disciples not just learning from their rabbi, but following them and learning to live like them. And Jesus says, here's the strategy. I've with you. And this is with his immediate disciples, the larger group of disciples, probably upwards of 70 at least. And he says, now, I want you to go. I want you to do what I have done with you. I've lived with you. I've taught you. I've loved God out loud with you. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age, even to the point when the glory of the Lord will once again cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and I will have renewed all things. That's where we're headed. And I'm inviting you into that process. When he says, follow me, it's an invitation but it's also a calling. It's an invitation to come alive. But it's a calling to fulfill that great commission, to fulfill that strategy. Now, this is still going on. I'm going to prove it to you right now. On the count of three, I want you to say a name. The first name 
of someone who had an impact in your life, either sharing the gospel with you, leading you to Christ, who uh, shared with you about what it means to grow in Jesus. Most of us had many of those folks. But you at least had one, or you wouldn't be here, or you wouldn't be tuned in online. Somebody, and it could be in a large group, somebody that had an impact, or a small one-on-one conversation, or something in between. We've all had a number of people. I just want you to name one at the count of three. I know you got masks on, but belted out. And those of you online, go ahead and say it out loud. The, the first name of somebody that God used to bring you to Him. One, two, three. Bill. It's still happening. This net's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. More and more of us are being enfolded. And I mentioned a moment ago that whole notion of follow me is both invitation and calling, and I want you to grasp this. Jesus invites us to come alive, but then He calls us to be life-giving to other people. And if Jesus delays His return, I want you to think about how many people would say your name like you just said the name of that person you said. Uh, What's going to be cool is in heaven we'll be able to do the tracing. The name of that person can be traced back name by name by name through the generations all the way back to those people that Jesus was talking to 2,000 years ago. And in heaven, you're going to be able to trace that. There's going to be a website called Ancestry.com in heaven, and you'll be able to look it up. Seriously, though, we'll be able to. But in the meantime, it's catching that calling, being gripped by being chosen to the point that we are committed to multiplying, living The life of the gospel out loud. Paul wrote to Timothy, this old man of God, basically to a young man of God, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard from me, the things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust those to, to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. It's happening. And who did Timothy love and impact? Who did he model the gospel for? Who was he life-giving for? And then that person, and then that person, and then it continued on to the name of the person you just called out. So, how, how do we do it? That's this whole notion of learning to be disciplers, making disciples. John 15 is a powerful passage. We looked at it in our series in John's Gospel. And there Jesus talks about why He chose us. And He also describes what a disciple looks like. I'd encourage you, you got some break time coming up with Thanksgiving. Go back to John 15. This is in the upstairs room, the night before Jesus gave His life. And He's saying, hey, let's go over some last minute things. And one of the things He talked about is choosing us, picking us. And when He said that, Those guys remembered being on the shore of the Sea of Galilee or somewhere else where he said, hey, I want you to follow me. 
I'm not going to read the entire chapter. Let's just start with verse 8 of John 15. He says, this is to my Father's glory. Now, this passage I'm going to read to you culminates with him saying, you didn't choose me, I chose you. So now you'll unpack the why. Bottom line, he said, this is to my Father's glory. I picked you to be not just have all the stuff and receive all the stuff that I'm going to lavish on you, the grace and the forgiveness and shirts of heaven. Bottom line, the glory of the Lord is once again going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, and I've picked you for His glory. And he keeps going, he says, and I've also picked you that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. So you're, you're bearing fruit. That enables you to glorify my Father and show that you're my disciples. If the Father's loved me, so I've loved you. Now remain in my love. And if you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love just as I've kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. And I've told you this, I love this, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made complete. Why did He pick us? To glorify the Father, but also for our joy, to for our fruit bearing. He says, my command is this, love each other as I've loved you. Greater love is no one than this to lay, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You're my friends if you do what I command, and I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. I said, I've called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I've, been, I've made known to you. You did not cho choose me, but I chose you. So that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. I, I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. He says, bottom line, you know why I picked you to glorify God, to bear fruit, and to know His joy in the process. So how do I become that kind of disciple? It's a matter of not saying my relationship with Jesus is private starts there. My relationship with Jesus is immensely personal, but it's not private. It's to be lived in community. And there's large community, and then there's smaller group community, and then there are those people that I'm intentionally, not as a guru, but as a vulnerable, authentic follower of Jesus, being contagious with them. And letting them see what it means to disciples, letting someone around me see my relationship with Jesus. What are some of the things that they should see? You go to this passage, there are four characteristics of a fruit-bearing disciple, at least. There, might, there, there, there are a few more, but I'm going to give you four. Four characteristics of a fruit-bearing disciple. And when I say that, that's redundant. Fruit-bearing is a disciple. A disciple is to be fruit-bearing. A disciple is not just someone who comes to church, stares at the back of somebody's head, and leaves and doesn't do anything else. A disciple is somebody that follows Jesus in a contagious, out loud sense, still within your personality, but developing, intentionally developing relationships with people so that they can see and catch the life of Jesus. See what? Let me give you four verbs. Go ahead and do the evaluation. Abiding, obeying, praying, and loving. And you can take a screenshot of that, go back through this text. Those all jump out, and there are a few more. 
So as I'm walking, following Jesus, what do I need to be doing that will be contagious? And Jesus points that out. What will I need to be doing that's uh, fruit-bearing? He points it out. He says, abide in me. At the very beginning of John 15, he talks about, the New International Version translates it re, uh, remain. I think that's a weaker word, even though it, it, it's rooted in the Greek. The Greek word bottom line means to make your home in. One of the first books that I received from somebody who was discipling me long ago was a book by Andrew Murray called Abide in Christ. To abide means to make your home and to say, this is where I am comfortable. Not comfortable in the sense of convenience, but comfortable in the sense of at home. This is where I go. My walk with Jesus isn't off to the side. I am at home with Jesus and He's at home with me. When I'm working, when I'm playing, when I'm laughing, when I'm crying, I'm abiding in Him. I'm spending concentrated times, sure, in quiet time with Him, but abiding is an all-of-life thing. And the people around me will catch that. Secondly, what's contagious about a fruit-bearing disciple? is that I'll be obeying. I'll be obeying in an out loud way. He talks about if you're going to be loving me, you'll be obeying my commands. And obedience is a huge part of of being a disciple. Not obedience in terms of in terms of a weird way, but obedience in terms of His commands. And sometimes we push back, especially the less mature we are on that. I saw in a restaurant a while back, it had all these funny sayings on the wall, and one of them said, a recent study has shown that rules are bad for children. Then the next line said, however, experts are suspicious because the study was presented in crayon. You know, our immaturity comes out when you say, hey, I don't want any rules. A mature disciple knows there's a path of life and a path that's not life. And I want to be obedient. And it'll be visible obedience. Not legalistic obedience. Not weird rule stuff. But the way of Jesus. The rule of Jesus, so to speak. Third is praying. They'll, they'll see me pray. Twice in this passage, Jesus talks about you asking my name and I'll do it. You, you abiding in such a way, obeying in such a way that then what you request is of me. It's not ritualistic praying, it's relationship praying. I've been kind of cut to the quick this week as I've evaluated my praying. And I've realized how vague my praying often is. And I've, I've, I've renewed a commitment to be specific and bold in my praying. I, I, t- twice this week in, in quiet times, I've, I've been in John 5 one time and in Luke 15 another time. In Luke 15, there's a blind beggar that comes to Jesus. And in John 5, there's the guy that had been by the pool at Bethsaida for 38 years. In both of those, Jesus asked them a question. Jesus' questions are always fascinating, aren't they? Well, the guy who'd been there 38 years, remember what Jesus asked him? Do you wish to be made well? Bizarre question, actually, no. Because so often, we just go through the motions and we're not making specific requests about transformation, about the climate, the landscape, the fruit-bearing changing. Over here, Luke 15, the blind beggar comes to him and what does Jesus ask him? What do you want me to do for you? 
I mean, isn't it obvious? Jesus is not saying, what do you want me to do with you out of ignorance? He's saying that we enter into that whole process with Him and we say it, making prayer requests of Him, asking, walking in Him in obedience and in His name, making bold, specific requests that can be determined as Him answering or delaying or saying no to getting that specific. The people around me start catching that. And there's a fourth characteristic of a fruit-bearing disciple. It's contagious. It's not just abiding and obeying and praying, but it's loving. Jesus says, I've loved you. I want you to love one another. Discipleship is not about a program. It's about loving other people in a life-giving way, in a way that results in glorifying Jesus and furthering His purposes. And it starts by making loving requests. I had two guys, but two of the first guys disciple me early on. One was doing out of love. I picked up. The other one was doing it out of a program and out of control. He didn't really care about me. This other guy, he loved me well. And it was love that motivated Jesus to go after those disciples, not to help with his religious agenda. And I want you to take about five minutes before we make a proclamation as His people, all right? And during that five minutes, we're going to provide you some images from uh, a series called The Chosen. We showed it a few weeks ago, one clip, and John showed it was about Peter explaining to his wife how he was going to follow Jesus. I want to show you the scene right before that. It's a well-done series. It's, it's, it, we've gotten their permission to do it, and you can get the app. Dallas Jenkins put it on, who spent some time in Colorado Springs. Dallas is Jerry Jenkins, the author of the Left Behind series, uh, his son. What you're about to see is the passage I just read to you earlier. You've got Peter who's been up all night desperately fishing because he's in debt to the tax collector, to the Romans, and he's He's trying to figure out what to do. There's Matthew who's been ratting on him on the shore dressed in all white observing this. Jesus has been teaching this parable of the nets and now he's done. And I want to ask you, put on some sandals and wade into that water. And I want you to hear Jesus pick some guys that ended up resulting in him picking you too. Take a look. These parables I tell make sense to some, not to others. Be patient. That is all for today. I have some business to attend to with my new friend. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. But we've been doing this all night. Nothing. 
All right. That's your word. You are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things I've done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe. But my faith, I'm sorry. Lift up your head, fisherman. Anything you ask, I will do. Follow me. as well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. 
take the fish to the market and settle up Simon's debt. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. So, you sure you don't want to do this just a few more times? Well, we'll make a great team on the boat. Son, joking. Fish are nothing. You have much bigger things ahead of you, Simon, son of Jonah. Did you understand that parable I told earlier? From now on, I will make you fishers of men. And you are to gather as many as possible, all kinds. I will sort them out later. Let's stand together. Jesus, I'm speaking to the you who is now and the you who was then, and you're the same you, Alpha and Omega. You're still calling, you're still picking, you're still choosing. And I want to thank you for the people in this room and the people online and the way that you have chosen. May we respond in submission to your grace, your life, your love, your truth, your way. And may we do it in a manner that we're not just con containers, buckets of all of your blessing and all of your grace and truth. But there were conduits, were pipes. May we give it away. May we live out loud. May we follow you out loud. May we enter into significant intentional relationships of following you together. And right now, as we sing this final song, may it be a proclamation that we're still hearing your voice, that you're still capable of doing miracles, that you're still capable of through nets like Northland Church and other places of spreading them out for the sake of, yes, our own heart health, yes, our church's health, but the health of this community, the health of this culture, and ultimately for the fulfillment of your kingdom purposes that involve us knowing we're called and as a result following you in commitment and joy. Hear us right now now, as we proclaim this,